living it out. We, we don't end up with a conviction about who God is or what he can do. And resurrection season is really our opportunity to kind of look at the power of the resurrection and how it altered reality, how it reoriented the disciples' reality uh, to, to something that was seemingly impossibly before, that death actually turned to life, that a person who, who had died was raised to life and it blew their minds, right? And so that's what we've been talking about. And today we're going we're gonna to kind of conclude our series uh, about this idea. We're going to talk a little bit about water baptism. I'll get to that in a second, but I don't know. Have you ever heard anybody talking about Torchy's Tacos? Torchy's Tacos, it's like, it's, it is this Austin original. I, I remember the first time I heard someone talk about it, and it was as if it was some kind of church. There was, like, there was, I, you, you heard them talk about the queso, kind of like it was some kind of liquid gold that had healing properties. Like there's something about it, and I, and I heard I heard him talking about you know these these um, foodies. You know we got any foodies in the room? It's weird, like torchies. Like you hear if you if you talk if you talk to somebody and they're hey I'm coming to Austin, you say, oh, I, you got to go to torchies, right? It's like we have evangelists for this place. <laughs> like we we got to. And so the, the Torchies is like this place that I was like, okay, well, I guess I have to go to Torchies. Do you remember the time you said that to yourself? Oh, well, I guess I need to go. Well, what happened to me is I went to Torchies and everything changed. <laughs> I, 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 I opened that little bowl of liquid gold and took a bite and it was like ev- the heavens opened. And came, and it was like I, I was convinced I had this incredible experience. And now, whenever I bring Torchy's queso to any party, I'm the celebrity. <laughs> when I bring queso home from Torchy's, my children worship me and obey me. <laughs> my wife seems to love me more. I don't know what it is. There's this thing, this taste. It's so great. I love the original Torchies downtown, but I love William Cannon Torchies even better. You know why? It's closer. <laughs> I just heard that they're going to build a new Torchies out by my house in Belterra. <gasps> oh, my life is good. Here's, here's, here's the point. It's, you, can, you can hear about something, you can, you can like think about something, but until you, you can hear people tell stories, about, but until you experience it yourself, there's no transformation. There's no new way of thinking. We had a, <laughs> we had a group, one of our groups, and, and you can do a group on almost any subject, and there was a group called Queso for the One. And, and, and this group was a group of, of people, young, young people that would go and try queso at every hot restaurant in Austin uh, all semester. They just went one a week and they met there and had their small group, right? And talked about Jesus and talked about their lives and it was awesome. And, and they, they just went and did this. And at the end, they had gained a lot of weight. But they, um, <laughs> there was something, they voted 
they voted, um, I, I, be I believe they voted Torchies as the number one queso. Here's, the, here's what I'm saying is there's something that when you experience it, when, you, when, it, when it happens to you, something changes. This is what happened to the disciples. Something happened to them. They saw something. They experienced something. We talked about that last week. Now today, later today at 5.30 right here, Outside, we're gonna have this huge picnic and we're gonna have a water baptism celebration. There's f more than 50 people who will be water baptized today. And that is worth celebrating. And, and but 50, 50 is a cool number. I bet it grows uh, throughout the day. And, but, but the, the number's one thing. You could say, oh, that's awesome. But I think you gotta hear the stories. And so we'll tell a few stories tonight, but I want you to hear one story from a young lady named Jillian Wong, and she's going to come up here and just tell her story. Come on. Come on up here. Everybody welcome Jillian. Hello. Hello. Oh, you want to record me? Okay. Is that what I'm doing? Vlog. <laughs> I had no idea this was part of the deal. Okay. She's okay. totally surprising me. I had no idea. Okay, guys, I'm about to share why I love Jesus, so I'll talk to you guys later. All okay, right. all right, we'll awesome. Coming. Okay, see okay. okay. Um, hi, my name is Jillian. Um, I've been in Austin for nine years. Um, but real quick before I share, I just want to say I was really nervous coming up here, to be honest. And during worship time, I was saying, God, please calm my mind. And all of a sudden, he just said one thing to me, and that one thing was that I love you. And that, that was all that mattered. And I just like, I, I, mm -hmm. tears came in my eyes and mm -hmm. I just, and that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. That, that I, my nerve, my nerves are going to come, but I think God's love is why I keep doing what I do. And so mm -hmm. right now I just want to share a story of um, something that happened to me when I first came to the faith. It was back in October. So I've been out of a job for quite a while and I was looking for a job. I was still very new to the faith. And I went to my job interview, sat in my car, had 15 minutes before my job interview. And my mentor, Jenny, Jenny Baker, I, I was really nervous. So I'm like, Jenny, I need your help. Can you pray with me? But she was just nowhere to be found. She just did not pick up her phone. So I'm like, great, who's got my back? Jenny doesn't have my back. I'm all alone. And I said, wait, God, God's got my back. I, I, sh I should pray to God. So I, um, I said, <laughs> that's a good idea. So I said, okay, okay. All right, God, how does this work? Because I've never really prayed. You know, I, I've been sort of like, okay, what do I say? How does it go? I'm like, I got it. Google. Google will help you. So, you know, like every millennial out there. Um, so I, I went on my iPhone, <laughs> went on Safari, and it's typed in Google. I said, how to pray before a job interview. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a million results and yeah. the, for the top one <laughs> yeah. the top one said the perfect prayer before a job interview so I'm like perfect so I click on it and this little tiny box it had five to ten sentences of um, how to pray before a job interview and so I'm like this is perfect so I sat in my car I said okay God I'm gonna read this little box and that would be a prayer right okay so okay so I, I prayed the prayer and I said amen is it good? Am I good? Okay. 
All right, so I, I walked into the store and I, I got my job interview. And within minutes, the girl just, she hired me. She said, you're hired. And I, I, at first, I, I couldn't believe, I, I mean, I knew like God has something to do with it. I, I just, I, it took me a while to really understand what happened. So I, as I walked out the store, God said to me like, see, I'm proving myself to you. And so that was just one of the many times mm. that God proved himself to me. And, you know, he's been doing it so many times. And, and I think, you know, it's been about seven months since I, I've been following Jesus. And, and today I'm getting baptized. Mm -hmm. and, what, yeah. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I, I've fallen in love with Jesus. And, and he's proven himself enough for me. Like, you know, he, he's done it countless times. He never fails me. And, and so today is like me just saying, God, you know, you've proven yourself enough for me. And now I, I want to say I'm proclaiming to the world that I, I'm done with this world. I, I want to follow you with all my heart, all my life for the rest of my life until the day I die. I'll be with you in heaven. Amen. 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 That's awesome. That's so good. It's so good. That is so good. Oh, yes. When you don't know what to do when you pray, you can Google it. You know, to see, um, to see Jillian just sort of innocently share her story, it's a new story. I'm grateful for people like Jenny Baker who are who are wa was walking with her, but she's making progress in her life with Jesus. There is a transformation that is taking place in her life, and we can never lose touch with that kind of transformation. If we do, we we won't be a we won't be a church worth coming to. And so I I just believe in uh, the power of God and what he wants for our lives. And I want to talk about that today. And so let's begin in uh, Romans 6, Romans chapter 6. If you want to turn there in your Bible, if you have your uh, mobile device, you can turn on your Bible to, uh, thanks brother, uh, Romans 6, and we'll start reading there. Father, would you just you just illuminate the scriptures, open them up to us, help us to uh, embrace them and to be changed internally by them. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. This is the Apostle Paul. He's in the middle of a long dissertation and we're gonna pick it up in the middle of it. We, won't, we don't have time today to go through the whole thing of what he's talking about, but I want you to see this little section. He says, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not, he says. I'm reading from the Message Bible, by the way, which is a modern day uh, paraphrase. It says, if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we are going in our new grace, sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life Na was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call, 
What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. That's such a great phrase. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That's a great passage. The apostle Paul here is using the picture of water baptism. Listen, today we're going to celebrate. I forgot to do this, so I'll have to do it now here in the middle of the message. A through M, bring a side. <laughs> N through Z, bring a dessert. Okay, and, and, and you guys all need to come. We need to participate in the miracle that's happening in people's lives. And it doesn't matter if you know them or not, or you know people or not, you should just come. Big picnic, we're gonna cook burgers and, and hot dogs, it'll be, it'll be great, bring a side, bring a dessert, whatever, and, and come and let's celebrate this. 5.30 tonight, right out, he, right out here actually, uh, right out here in the front. Apostle Paul is talking about water baptism, this miracle, this transformation, this, this idea of going down into the water and coming back up. There's a, there's, a, there's a picture, it's a symbolism. The symbolism of going into the water, you know what it is? It's like you can't breathe underwater. I don't know if you've noticed. It's a symbol of death. It's a symbol of being willing to die. It's, but, but there's something that happens as you come up out of the water. There's a, there's a resurrection that you're identifying with in Christ. What does this mean for us as a Christian? Well, I think it means three things. I think there's an impo uh, this impossible metamorphosis, and I think it has implications for us. This impossible transformation. Number one, what does the end of death as the, as the end mean? What does the end of death mean? as the end. It means something different. It means, number one, we've got to ask the question, am I willing to be transformed? Am I willing to be transformed? Here's what Colossians says. It says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. That sounds painful. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. Now listen, on one level, we want to be transformed, don't we? On one level, we like, like, like we want change, right? Because we're so miserable in our old way of life, you know? And, and it's so funny. We want change until we don't. Because you know what? Change is hard. Change is hard. People typically resist change. Rob has a saying, he says it all the time, uh, or maybe I say it for him all the time because it sticks in my head, and it is this idea, everybody wants something new, but nobody wants to change. And I think this describes our dilemma as God's people. We want something new, God to do, but we don't want to, we're not sure we want to change. We want to on one level, but then on another level, we don't. It's interesting, the word baptism has an a, a fascinating origin. If you look at it, it's baptism. You can fill it in in your notes right there. It says the Greek word is baptizo, 
uh, to plunge, dip, immerse something in water. When you look it up in Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, it says, it talks about this same word, baptizo, and also babto, which is a different, um, uh, a, a slightly different version of the word. It says to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge vessels, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash oneself, to bathe, to, to overwhelm. But what's so fascinating about this is the clearest example that shows the meaning of baptizo is actually doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from a, a Greek poet and a physician named Nicander. And Nicander, who lived about 200 BC, he, he was making a recipe for uh, pickles. He was writing about a recipe for turning a, a, a vegetable, right, a, a <clears throat> this, this, um, this vinegar, vinegar solution and what happens when you stick a, I can't find it, I can't think of it right now, a pickle, cucumber, I, I couldn't come up with it. A cucumber, I was like, uh, I got sick one time on cucumbers, I never eat them, I hate them, that's terrible. So, cu uh, so you dip a cucumber in this process and he describes it, how you put it into water, you dip it into water, that's babto, and then baptizo is when you immerse it into vinegar and you leave it there for a while. Today when I'm baptizing, I won't leave some of you under for longer <laughs> because you're a little more sinful than others or whatever. No, there's no, no, nothing, nothing like that. But I think this idea of the physical act of baptism illustrates what happens to us. There's this moment where we identify with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, this baptism in water. We're dipped in it, but, but it's really a reflection of something deeper that's going on. It's reflective of a, of a change that has to do with something a little more difficult. It's, it has to do with vinegar. <laughs> it's, it, sometimes change is really stinky. Sometimes, sometimes transformation is a process. It takes a little longer than you want it to. Like, like what, what we're doing is we're, we're identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and on the inside, new creation. There's nothing that needs to be changed. God loves you, and he believes in you, and he's, you're his son, or you're his daughter, and inside, that is the way it is. The problem is you're still in this body. And, and what God does, he, he gets way down deep on the inside and he starts working his way out. God doesn't work his way in, right? We don't do the right things to try to get our hearts. God changes our hearts and then we, then we want to line up with him. We want to follow him. He, he begins to work his way to the outside. So it's okay to not be perfect after you come up out of the water. In fact, what's going to happen to a lot of these people when they get baptized today is that later in the week, Later in the month, the devil will come to them and say, see, it didn't work. See, it wasn't real. It was, it's, just, it's, just, it's just water. It doesn't matter. And, but the problem is, that's a lie. It is a lie because the Spirit of God is working on the inside of you. And what baptism is, is, is saying to everybody in the community, it's making a public declaration and saying to everyone, I'm in a process of change and I'm committed to change. I'm committed to transformation. Some of you have lost your commitment to transformation. You were baptized, all right, but you stopped transforming. And I want to encourage you to get back to it. Here's the problem. We want the instant solution. 
man, okay, there's one instant thing in the Bible. One instant opportunity. You know what it is? It's, rep- it's, it's forgiveness in response to repentance. When you repent, God forgives you. When you say, God, I'm so sorry, this is, that's, I don't want to live like this. I want to live like you want me to live. When you turn to him, forgiveness is instantaneous. You don't have to wallow around, oh, I'm such a terrible person. This is so horrible. Life is so bad. No, I, here's what we do. We don't want to talk to God too much for a few days while we read our Bibles and get back to doing good things. That doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. The gospel is God's grace and love and forgiveness, and it's instantaneous. That's because of Christ, because of what Jesus did. I'm going on a huge rabbit trail here. Listen, <laughs> listen. The problem is everything else is a process. <laughs> Allowing your flesh to be cut away. Allowing God to do his work in you. It's a process. It's, and, and, and like, like the cucumber in the pickle, there's a, there's a transformation that's taking place. Mark 16, 16 says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. When you look at the meaning of this word, it means union with Christ. It's talking about a, 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 more, of a more of a connection with him, a real change because you're merged with him. You're merging with him. You're, you're, there's a union. This is what is happening. Hey, did you know that when Jesus was baptized, he went through a transformation? What are you saying, Pastor Ross? Not because he was sinful. He didn't have to be baptized as part of his sin uh, process. He was baptized out of obedience. It's really the same as you. you. You get water baptized out of obedience to God. But there was a transformation. Have you ever noticed there aren't too many stories about God's miracle working power through Jesus before he was baptized? Jesus was baptized and God, uh, those heavens opened up and God spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then he led him directly to the wilderness. (laughs) Bummer. (laughs) This is my beloved son. I'm announcing it to the world. Go to the desert. This is kind of what happens when you're baptized. There is a sense at which you will feel the temptation of the enemy. And all of you who are being baptized today, you shouldn't be alarmed at that. You shouldn't be freaked out by it. You shouldn't believe the lie. The temptation is there, right? Just like Jesus went through that temptation after he was baptized. He was tempted to rely on himself. He was tempted to not believe what God his Father had told him at baptism. He was tempted But through that temptation, as he responded to the enemy with the scripture, and as he resisted, he was ushered into three years of miracle, signs and wonders being being performed because he he was being transformed by the work of the Spirit in his life. Yes, Jesus himself was being worked with by the Holy Spirit. He was in relationship with him. He's still sinless. He never sinned. But he had to rely on the Holy Spirit because he was human. He was 100%. Am I right, Kim? Yes, that's good. (laughs) She has her master's degree in theology, so I I wanted to check that. Listen. (laughs) Listen to this. 
Check out this story. In 1837, three young Methodist ministers, James Calvert, John Hunt, Thomas Jagger, and their wives set out from England for the Fiji Islands. Theirs was a difficult assignment. The work there was only three years old and the people were still cannibals. Hardly any fruit was seen during their first few years, few years of service. Then in 1845, revival swept through the islands. Chief Takumbo, who had been the main opponent of the mission work, was converted to Christ. Within a few years, a complete transformation of the islands had taken place as the gospel took hold of the people there. The captain of the ship that took the three English couples from England tried to persuade them to change their minds about going to the islands. He told Calvert, you will lose your lives and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. Calvert replied, we died before we came here. We died before we came here. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose his life for me will find it. The paradigm that is centered around the resurrection of Jesus is this idea, this statement, we're having a, a, a we're not a humans having a spiritual experience, we're a spiritual being having a temporary human experience, and there's something more, eternity is beyond death, there is eternal life that is waiting for us, so the real question you and I have to answer is, what are you willing to die for? What are you willing to die for? That brings us to point number two, am I willing to give up my life? First question is, am I willing to be transformed? Because it's a process and sometimes it's painful. The second question is, am I willing to give up my life? Am I willing to surrender? That's the story of these missionaries. They had settled their death before they went. There was no threat from the cannibals. You know why? They had already considered themselves dead. Do you know why you can turn the other cheek to the person at work who's really mean to you? Because you've already decided. You've already settled the fact. You're dead. Jesus is the one who is alive in you. Oh, you're looking at me like you don't believe it. <laughs> you're like, Pastor Ross, you don't know what an idiot this guy is. <laughs> Listen, everything, everything changes when you decide, I'm willing to give it all up. Martin Luther King, of course, the um, um, amazing civil rights activist, he said, I submit to you that if a man hasn't discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. Let me show you an aspect of water baptism I think so many people miss because so many people think water baptism is just a religious symbol. But it's so much more than that. Look at Philippians 3.10. It says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that in one way or another I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's saying, I want to know Christ this badly. I want to know him so badly, I'm willing to suffer with him. So many of us want resurrection life, but without the death. We want blessing without surrender. We want provision without trust. We want love without sacrifice. And here is the problem. 1 John 2 says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, and whoever does the will of God lives forever. 
this is, this is John saying, everything's going to pass away. You have to settle this in your mind. That God is rescuing us from three kingdoms. There's, there's, from two kingdoms. There's, there's, a, there's three kingdoms that we look at in the scriptures, and I want to show them to you. According to the scriptures, there are three kingdoms. There's God's kingdom, right? You can write this down on, 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 in your margin. It's not in your notes. God's kingdom, there's Satan's kingdom, and the world's kingdom. Now, salvation, you know what it does? It settles the God's kingdom and, and Satan's kingdom issue. Like you're rescued from darkness into his marvelous light. That's what the Bible says. And so you move from Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom. But then there's one more kingdom that has to be dealt with. And you know what it is? It's the world's kingdom. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of functioning. So much of our problem today in our American culture for Christians is we don't understand how God's kingdom functions totally differently, upside down from how the world wants us to think. God is not only interested in saving us from the devil's kingdom, from Satan's kingdom, he's interested in, in saving us from the world and the way the world influences you and I, from the influence of the world. God wants us to, gi us to give up the influence of this world, the values, the patterns, the ways, and the wisdom of this world. And it's hard to fully see this because as Christians here in America, we're not really being persecuted, right? As, as much as other places. And, and that's why coming out of this world doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But in other cultures, it is a huge deal to get baptized. If you look at other cultures, I, I, I was reading in Watchman Nee's book, A Living Sacrifice. I'm just going to read you a little bit of him. He says, Judaism persecutes the baptized. Among the Jews, a person may be a secret Christian without being persecuted. The greatest difficulty with many hundreds and thousands of Jews is not in believing the Lord Jesus but rather in being baptized. Once the person is baptized, he's liable to be cast out and disowned. Some of you have experienced that when you got baptized. Some of you are going to get baptized today and your family's looking at you like, this is weird. Are you part of a cult? <laughs> you, you meet in a commercial office building. Is there, what is going on? Hinduism ostracizes the baptized. In India, no one will lay hands on you if you remain unbaptized, but as soon as you are baptized, you will be ostracized. It is as if the world permits you to have eternal life, but stands against anyone being baptized. It's a marker. It's a declaration. Islam murders the baptized. The reaction of Islam is more severe. It is rare to find a living Mohammedan who has turned Christian because Muslims kill those who do. Among the Muslims, those who believe must immediately be sent away or else two or three days after baptism, they are murdered. These are the words of Watchman Nee. This is historical. This is not a dynamic we're used to in America. And I think we have to get a hold of what it means. Jesus said, in Matthew 7, he said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go into it, in by it, because, the narrow gate, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now notice that Jesus said our lives are full of choices, right? He's saying there's a, there's a broad way and there's a narrow way. Here's what the Message Bible says. It says it this way. I love this. He says, don't look for shortcuts to God. <laughs> the market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. 
So you can't, listen, you can't add God to your life. You can't add Jesus like a little sprinkle of cinnamon. You can't add him to the stew. He, he has to take over. And, and, and he, he comes in and he takes over everything. It's about making a decision to go all out. Like Jillian was saying, I'm all in. I'm for you, Jesus. You've proven you've, yourself to me. I've seen you. I'm all in. And listen, here's the thing. It's totally worth it. John 10.10 10 says the thief's purpose is to kill and steal and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus said this. Now you're thinking to yourself, well, that just, that just said that the, the thief comes to kill. You're talking about death. You're talking about give every, giving everything up. Yes, there are ways to die that don't result in resurrection. You can give in to all kinds of terrible deaths, terrible destruction in this world. Your soul can be consumed with greed. Hatred can come and destroy your heart and relationships. There's all kinds of ways for you to die <laughs> that, all, that don't result in resurrection life. But Jesus says, if you give your life up for me, I'll replace it with something. As William Wallace said, we all end up dead. It's just a question of how and why. I don't know if he really said that, but he said it in Braveheart. So, <laughs> Re Revelation 12, 11, you know what it says? It says, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives as to shrink from death. Most people, they quote the first part of the verse, and they don't quote the last part. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Woo! It's awesome. There's one more thing. One more thing that marked them, and they loved not their lives as to shrink back from death. I know you're thinking to yourself, Pastor Ross, man, this is so heavy. It's just water baptism. <laughs> no, it's so much bigger than that. There's so much more going on. It's not just about being willing to die. It's also about receiving life and freedom. So the third question we have to ask is, am I willing to live by the Spirit. Am I willing to live by the Spirit? Am I willing to die the death that Jesus wants for me so that he can give me his life? Romans 8, 11 through 13, here's what it says. It says, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Let me just pause right here and say, we have this idea that we want to put to death the misdeeds of our body, the, the ways of acting that are not pleasing to God. We want to put those to death and we want to do it in our own strength and our own power. Impossible. One of the reasons these people are being baptized out here is they're making a public declaration and they're saying, okay, it's not my life anymore. It's not about me. I am giving my life to Christ and his spirit is taking over in my life. And now the life I now live, I'm living by the spirit by the work of the Spirit in me. The Spirit is the one that gives me life. So you have to put to death the misdeeds of the body, not by your own strength, but by the Spirit, by God's Spirit that lives in you. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves 
You're not a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption of sonship, is what the NIV says. The Greek word here for adoption to sonship is a term referring to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. They had full legal standing in Roman culture, and Paul uses this word to give a punch to it, to what he's saying. You're his kid, you're his child, you're the one that everything that he has belongs to you. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, verse 15 says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. Listen, water baptism isn't just about death. It's about life too. It's about resurrection life coming alive. Water baptism is about moving from life, the life of the flesh, to the life of the spirit. Moving from my life to God's life. Giving my life away, receiving the life of Christ. And make no mistake, it is a life of freedom. It is a life of freedom. You're not a slave. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Spirit of the Lord, where the, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If He lives in you, then you have freedom. Well, I don't feel very free. You have it. Believe it. Start walking in it. It'll take a little time for it to get through the thick skull. It'll take a little time sometimes for you to develop new habits. It'll take time for you to change your way of thinking so that you can walk as Jesus has designed you to walk. That should not be intimidating to you. What you have to believe is on the inside, you are his. You are his. You have his spirit in you. Here's what the life of the spirit does. It gives you a good conscience. Check this out. Hebrews 10, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I want you to underline that guilty conscience phrase. First Peter says it this way, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pl the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection. Oh, there it is again. It saves you by the power of the resurrection, the power of the spirit coming into you. Water baptism is an appeal to a good conscience. Like I want God to mess with my mind. I want him to change my mind. I want to be influenced by him. And finally, it's an overflow of joy and peace and hope. Joy, peace, and hope. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the spirit. What your hope is in is not in an outcome. You don't know what God has for your life. If you try to control it, it doesn't work. But God has a design and a purpose for you and you're giving your life away and you're putting your hope in him. You're putting your hope in a person, not an outcome. Close your eyes, bow your heads. I want you to think about what we've talked about today and I want you to just let God speak to you about this. And we're gonna come to the Lord's table. I want the band to come back up and we're just gonna worship God together. And for some of you, for some of you, you've kind of lost touch with these ideas and it's time for you to make a, a decision today to give up your life again to be willing to submit to transformation, to surrender everything and, 
and then to live the life that God's called you to live. For, for others of you, you're like sitting here, some of you may be here and you're like, what are you, I'm not, I didn't know I didn't know that this was so good. I didn't know what God had for me was so good. And you want to you give your life to him today. Some of you probably need to be baptized. You need to be water baptized. You were maybe baptized as a child. It wasn't of your own will. Some of you need to obey the Lord in water baptism. You can, you can sign up for that. You, you don't even have to sign up. You can just come tonight. We'll baptize you. <laughs> But here's, here's what we've all got to do. We've all got to decide that we're going to give up. And we all got to receive the life that Jesus has for us. And the reason we can do that is because Jesus did it first. Jesus did it first. He, he came and he gave everything. And then God gave him a life that was beyond what he had lived. Miracles, signs, and wonders, all these great things, but suddenly something happened there. Three days in the grave, Jesus was raised to life. The impossible became possible. Everything changed. That's why we come to this table, because we remember the death of Jesus. We come and remember his broken body. We come and remember his blood that was spilled for you and I. And that blood forgives us of our sins. It washes our sins away. It take, he took our place and then he was raised to life and power. And that same life he wants to offer you today. And so as we come to this table, I want you to make a decision. Make a decision to give your life away again. Maybe for the first time but make the decision. Father, we just come to you and we allow you to change us. We allow you to make us, cause us to think differently. We allow you to, to lead us and guide us. We want to surrender everything and we want you to take over. Um, we want life that we don't even really understand, um, but we know that we want you. And so Lord, come and infuse your life into our souls as we come to this table. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.